Hey, welcome to Everybody Church. Remember when you were little, I mean super little, so little that you were brave. You didn't really care what anybody thought about you. In fact, it wasn't really even on your radar that people thought anything about you at all, except that maybe you're loved no matter what you do. But then we begin to get older and we begin to shape ourselves and shift ourselves and fold ourselves into a version of ourselves that seems a little unlike ourselves. And a lot of us spend a big part of our life trying to find that little person that we once knew. That's what today's conversation starter is about. Ray Waters is going to be talking about perspective and uniqueness, the thing that makes you uniquely you. I love that I'm recording this on Dr. Seuss's birthday because Dr. Seuss said, today you are you, that's truer than true. There's no one alive that's youer than you. So let's go to it. Here's Ray Waters. Well, hello, everybody, church. Thanks for tuning in. I want to start by just saying thank you for what you have done over the last, uh, this is the fourth week now for everybody, church. And I want to let you know that we have averaged over 1,500 people around the world watching the services, and that's been fantastic. But much more important than that, we are seeing over 400 people a week who are engaging in some way on the Everybody Church uh, Facebook site. And that is huge. That is huge. So never forget, we're going to have good teachers, and, and uh, you'll, you'll see that. I'm excited about that every week. There'll be different people that'll be here talking. That's going to be okay, but what's more important is your involvement, and you are what's going to make Everybody Church a wonderful, wonderful church for everybody. So thank you very much. I want to talk to you today about perspective. And I want to talk to you about how, as you evolve and grow, your perspective about things needs to change. Uh, over time, if you're a growing human, your perspective needs to change. And mine certainly has. Um, I grew up very much believing in a fear-based God. Uh, maybe you did too. The idea that we needed to shake in our boots when we were thinking about God and the idea that God really wanted to uh, destroy us. That was kind of his heart towards us. I don't, I don't believe that anymore. You know, there's wonderful verses in the Bible that say God is love. And then another verse in the New Testament that says perfect love casts out fear. And then when I consider Jesus who said that he was the perfect reflection of God. And if you wanted to see what God was like, look at Jesus. And then I look at Jesus and Jesus says, listen, if someone does evil to you, you don't return evil with evil, but you return evil with good. And I think if that's the character of God, that I don't have to be afraid. Or when Jesus said, if someone does something bad to you, forgive them over and over again, forgive them. And I think if that's the nature of God, I don't have to be afraid. That was just an example of my perspective changing. Another example of a perspective change, I used to see people as separate from God. You know what I'm talking about. I thought our little group, our little religious group, the part that I was in, I thought we knew God. We were huddled around God and everybody else out there didn't know God. Have you ever heard of things like that? Maybe, I hope maybe some of you have come from a background similar to mine. But I used to think that my job was to leave my little holy huddle and go out there where these people were separate from God and I needed to rescue them and I needed to bring them back so they could have God in their life. Let me tell you what I think now. I believe God is a part of every person's life. They may not know it, 
but I believe God is there. You know, I learned in Bible college and then in graduate school something called God being omnipresent everywhere. And I remember studying the scriptures and learning that everything consists in God. And then I remember reading the Psalms where the psalmist said, I have been to the highest mountain and I've discovered God is there with me. And I've been to the lowest valley and I've discovered God is there with me. And I have even gone into the very grave itself, into Sheol, the place of the dead. And I've discovered there God is with me. So my perspective has changed. I now see God is a part of every person's life. They may not know it, but God is there. There's another idea that I was taught growing up that became a belief, but as I've grown in my faith, this perspective has shifted. Uh, the original idea came from Blaise Pascal, and it's the idea that each of us has a God-shaped hole in our hearts. You've probably heard that, a God-shaped hole hole in our hearts and we try to fill that hole with all kinds of things it's, it's beautiful poetry when you think about it we try to fill it with success and or with religion or with sex drugs rock and roll whatever we're trying to fill it with but we can't fill it i now believe that there's not a hole in people's hearts uh, they may be unaware that god is there but god has not left a hole there they just need some awareness it's poetic it's a perspective. It's not really the way I think about things now. Another place my perspective has changed is in my understanding of humanity, of us, of people. I think as a younger guy growing up in my fundamentalist church background, people weren't really so such a big deal. Uh, they were kind of just... They could be discarded, and God certainly was going to discard most of them. God would have a select few, his soldiers in the army of the Lord, but for most, he was going to discard them, and in eternity, they would be far from him. But I've realized that's not what the Bible says. I've realized that the Bible says we are created in the image of God, that we were created just a little bit lower than the angels. And so thinking about that Blaise Pascal quote of a God-shaped void in someone's heart, I've kind of changed it just a little bit. And I thought, you know, I think what's probably closer to true is there is a U-shaped void that was in the heart of God that caused him to create you. Stay with me just a minute because this is going to all come together and make sense. What if God looked at all of creation, and I believe this is plausible, and he said, you know, this is really, really good. This is really good but there's something missing. And what if God said that something is you? And what if God said, I'm gonna make you to fill this spot, uniquely you to fill this unique spot in the universe? I'm gonna give you personality, I'm gonna give you a sexual orientation, I'm gonna give you your gender identity, I'm gonna give you all of these things that are unique about you. And then I'm gonna ask you to just go into the world and be the very best you you can be. When I was a kid growing up in the early 1960s, we used to watch this TV show early in the morning for children called Romper Room. I did, maybe y'all had that around the country. I hope you did. Romper Room, the ending of the show would be this lady that was kind of the facilitator for the little children in a classroom. And with all of us sitting at home, she would pull out this magic mirror and she'd look in this magic mirror. And it really wasn't magic. Of course, it just was a mirror that was hollowed out so she could, you could see her face. But she'd look at the camera and she would say, I see you, Timothy, and I see you, Natalie, 
and I see you, Kim. And she would say nice things about these children, about you be sweet and you have a good day and you be nice to your mom. And I promise one time she said, I see you, Ray. Most exciting thing in the world ever happened to me. I was about five years old and I couldn't believe she saw me through that glass. I was thinking about that this week and I was thinking, man, I wish I could do that and look through this camera or look through this camera and I wish I could say, Rory, I see you. And God created you because there was a unique missing part in the universe shaped just like you. And so God made you. And he made Jennifer and he made Kat and he made Cam and he made you uniquely you. He made you Roy and he made you Mike. He made you Alejandro. He made you Elena and Heather and Shantae and Crystal and Courtney. He made you. And I wish I could call every person's name that's watching to just say to you, I don't know what your perspective is about you, but I want you to know the God of heaven and earth created you because you are special. You are good. The problem is most of us don't take up nearly the space God created us to take up. And I've asked myself, why is that? I think one of the big reasons has to be shame and, and fear. And I think we can certainly look at the traditional church and say that has been a part of this process of making us feel this way. I mean, the Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love that in the Genesis account of creation, which can kind of be seen as all of our stories, not just Adam and Eve, but it can be a, a beautiful metaphor for all of life. They were created and they were placed in this world and they were unashamed and they were naked. And that's a beautiful picture. The Bible says of us, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. A better translation would be, we are wonderfully complex. Some of us need to write on a post-it note and put it on our bathroom mirror, Psalm 139, 14, which says, thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous. So you and I, we arrive complete, but then life begins to bump us and bruise us. It begins to bless us and shape us and confine us and life becomes this forward moving force. And sometimes all we can do is just hang on and hope it's gonna all turn out all right. But again, God makes each of us very special. First Peter chapter four, verse 10, Peter says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And then Peter says, use them well to serve one another. You ever been discouraged and had a friend give you, I think, the best advice they can give you? This has happened to me a few times when they'll say, I'm facing something really difficult. And a friend will say, Ray, you got this. Just remember, be yourself. You've got this. Remember, be yourself. Sounds simple, but it's not trivial. And it's actually quite profound life advice. Sadly, life has a way of stripping each one of us to the very essence of who we're here to be. I had a friend say to me this week, I have lost a sense of who I am, and I don't like that very much. I've been there. Something just doesn't seem right. I have allowed myself to get lost in this crazy world. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the world but instead be transformed by the constant renewing of your mind. 
I love that verse, but I especially love it in the Phillips translation. Listen to this. The Phillips translation says this, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. When you're able to be your most authentic self, that's when your imprint becomes bigger, but you have to be authentically you. One of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible is David and Goliath. In that story, you'll remember the teenager is going to finally get the courage. He's going to go fight the giant. But the king says, well, you can't go out there in your shepherd's clothes. You've got to put on my armor. And so he puts on this grown man's armor on this little teenage boy until David is just saying, I can't even move in this. And David takes that armor off and he says, I, I can't do it that way. And he picked up five stones and he went out and he faced Goliath in the only way he knew how, by being himself. That's a beautiful picture of how we're supposed to be. It really is important to try to be who God created you to be. Nothing more, nothing less. Caroline McHugh wrote a beautiful book called Be Yourself. She says there are two periods of life when you're awesome at being yourself, and you'll guess what these are. When you are very, very young, you're fantastic at being yourself because you haven't learned yet how to disguise your differences. I have eight grandchildren from the ages of four to 10, and they are just precious, and they're just free, and they just are these beautiful little creatures, and I love them. So we are born at age zero, but consciousness isn't fully formed in most of us until around the ages of five to seven. As we become more conscious, we become more self-conscious, and we forget how to be naked and unashamed. We slowly begin to lose ourselves in the inauthentic role of what the world around us calls normal. Never forget what Christopher Barzak said, normal is just a setting on the washing machine. Don't ever think your calling in life is to be normal. It is highly overrated. I remind you again, and I want you to stay with me. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, or the Phillips translation says it like this, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. So that's one time we're really good at being authentically ourselves when we're very little. The other time in life when we're good at being ourselves is after the wrinkles and the gray hair, or for some of us, no hair, takes over our bodies. For some reason, when we get wrinkly and gray, we become more honest and a little less compromising. As I'm getting older, I'm getting more comfortable with saying what I want to say and doing what I want to do and not having a lot of tolerance for foolishness or game playing. Caroline McHugh, the author of the book, says the bit in the middle is the hardest time to be ourselves because that bit in the middle between when we're very, very little and when we're very, very old, that's when we have to socialize, that's when we have to accommodate, and that's when we have to adapt. And often we are trying to do those things when we haven't fully learned or accepted who we really are. When the world around you begins to squeeze you into a you that you are not, a you that isn't authentic and wonderful. She says three things can happen. And uh, I think this is interesting. She says you can develop a superiority complex where you think you're better than just about everyone else, or at least you pretend you're better than everyone else. 
And this is terribly unhealthy, as you well can imagine. Everyone around you can see that you're not all that. And we all suspect deep down, you know that you're not all that either, but you are putting on the front and you're trying to hide the fact that you are not being authentically you. I have known my share of people who have done this and I have done it many, many years in my life, the very same thing. I've tried to hide being authentically me by some superiority complex that uh, I now look back on and say that was quite foolish. When the world around you begins to squeeze you into a you that you are not, a second thing people do is they develop an inferiority complex where they do what they can, hoping not to get in anyone's way, hoping no one gets mad at them. They're ashamed to stand out because there have been times in their life when they have tried to stand out and they have been knocked down. And I have known people who are living exactly like that. And I can tell you, there have been times in my life I've done the very same thing. I've seen people who are paralyzed because of their habit of comparing their weaknesses to other people's strengths. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at someone and they have these incredible strengths and so you then look at your life and maybe you're weak in an area that they're strong and you spend time comparing your weakness to their strength. That is a foolish thing to do. Uh, you have strengths yourself and you should never compare your, your weaknesses to someone else's strength. Well, I just want to say to you, God didn't make you to feel superior to others and God did not make you to feel inferior to anybody. So Caroline McHugh says this, there is a third way of being that helps you tap into your authentic, childlike, beautiful self that God has made. It isn't superiority and it isn't inferiority. Caroline McHugh made up a word and I love it. She calls the third way of being interiority. Isn't that a great word? Interiority. She says interiority is entirely unrelative. In other words, I don't need people to put down so I will feel big, and I don't need to put people over me so I will somehow feel small. Interiority is in fact what we're all aiming for when we pursue any type of authentic spiritual practice. It's when I'm able to shift beyond comparing my successes and my failures to anyone else. It's not about any of those things. It's about recognizing who I am uniquely created by God and I learn to be the very best me I can be. It's when I begin to understand that I am the only me on the planet. That for some reason God looked into the universe and said there needs to be a ray and this ray needs to be unique. It's just what God said about you. There needs to be a you and you need to be unique. You need to be uniquely you. Here's the deal. When you get that, nothing compares to you being authentically you. That's why you don't need to ever waste any time trying to be someone you are not or to try to force a comparison with someone. You are not the role you play or the job you do. You, hear me, are simply wonderfully you. I like that thought. We can live our lives in peaceful interiority. Do you remember the hippies? I know I'm older than some of y'all, but the hippies back in the 60s and 70s, they used to say, we are finding ourselves. That's interiority, finding yourself. All the spiritual pursuits I have ever investigated always end up with the same idea. 
God is love. We understand that love. We begin to understand this great love for us, and it helps us learn who we are, truly who we are, and how we can live in this world. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. It's interiority. It seems so much bigger than me, and yet when I do that, when I really do that, I live a beautiful life. And you can live a beautiful life too. God made you. God made me. We are good. So why don't we join hands and hearts and why don't we live this life together? I really believe church should be about how I share what's complicated about me with you and you share what's complicated about you to me. And I believe we join hands and hearts and this can be such a valuable place where just that can take place a place that's filled with divine love everywhere you turn. You know, that's the only rule we have, by the way, in Everybody Church. Learn to treat people with love. Learn to be kind. Learn to understand that it really is all about love. Bill and Gloria Gaither, some of you may know their names, wonderful songwriters. And they've written some beautiful songs. You would know some of their songs but they wrote one about the simplicity of what life is really all about. And I wanted to just read a little bit of the verses and chorus to you. The song's called Loving God and Loving Each Other. Here's how it goes. Loving God, loving each other, making music with my friends. Loving God and loving each other. And the story never ends. And here's a verse. We tend to make it harder. We build steeples out of stone. We fill books with explanations of the way. But if we'd stop and listen and break a little bread, then we would hear the master say, loving God, loving each other, making music with my friends, loving God, loving each other. And the story never ends. That's what we want to see happen at Everybody Church. We want to love God and love each other simple as that making music with our friends loving god loving each other and the story never ends well once mahatma gandhi was leaving on a trip and as he walked towards the train station a reporter yelled gandhi what's your message to the world gandhi replied without slowing his step my life is my message you know what everybody church your life is the message and it's beautiful it's complicated it's had some high points and some low points but there's never been one second that god hasn't loved you and you belong in this place and you are good let your life be your message blessings to you everybody church can't wait to see you next week share this if you liked it share it and let's stay in touch can't wait Uh-huh.
Wow, I could listen to Rachel sing all day long. This week, join us on facebook.com slash everybodychurch. We're building a community there and it's real and it's authentic and people are beginning to come together to support each other and help us get each other through the week. We want you to be a part of that. Join us everybodychurch.com or facebook.com slash everybodychurch. Love you. Have a great week. Everybody Church is a 501c3 nonprofit that uses the tools of social media and digital innovation to connect progressively minded people around the world to change our world. Regardless of differences, we envision a world marked by equality, sustainability, justice, and love. Our work is made possible by tithes and offerings and charitable giving from members of our community. Everybodychurch.com slash give.